I'm going to go ahead and uh, invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. And after I read our passage this morning, I'll explain a little bit about why we are here. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. This is the account of Jesus uh, cleansing a leper. Give your attention to the reading of God's word this morning. And a leper came to him, to Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, And said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So this is not an Adventish sermon. Uh, This is not connected to what we've been doing in Psalms. This is just a passage I wanted to look at with you. Uh, It's motivated in part by a sermon that I came across somewhat recently on this passage that distressed and upset me. Uh, Not just because it wasn't a very good sermon. It was poor homiletically, but also because it played into many of the Christian stereotypes about Jesus and the Torah that I have come to reject. Now, if you haven't figured it out yet, the offending sermon that I am talking about was mine. One that I preached early in my ministry Uh, in which I offered a standard Christian narrative of the passage that goes something like this. Israel had laws that focused on external ritual purity. Jesus cares about internal moral purity. And in touching and healing the unclean leper, Jesus is rejecting or nullifying or overcoming Israel's purity regulations, and redefining true purity. Uh, Now this is the tendency to de-Judaize Jesus, to sort of take him out of his Torah context, and that tendency has existed ever since the parting of the ways between Judaism and Christianity. To see Jesus' relationship to the law primarily as one of tension or disregard or maybe even contempt. And I think we'll see this morning in my little act of repentance here in preaching this, that that is not what is actually going on in this passage. Uh, What if Jesus was truly concerned about ritual purity and its observance and this man's condition? And what would that teach us about why he came and how we, who don't observe ritual purity laws, should live? 
Uh, So let's look at this passage together. It starts in verse 40. Uh, A leper came to Jesus, and already we have come across the first challenge of our text. Uh, Because leprosy for us raises the specter of a debilitating, degenerative, contagious disease that we know uh, as Hansen's disease, but we often just call leprosy. That is not what is in view in this text, even though almost all English Bibles unfortunately translate the word lepra this way. Jesus encounters a man who has the skin condition described in Leviticus 13 and 14, Sarat. Uh, it's probably something like psoriasis or eczema or maybe dandruff, which might seem strange that one of Jesus' first works of healing power was to relieve what we would consider to be a minor skin condition. Uh, we live in a world of COVID, cancer, heart disease, Parkinson's, MS, and Alzheimer's. What kind of a message is it that Jesus came into the world to remove eczema and dandruff? Well, what mattered about lepra, that's the word in the Greek, what mattered about lepra was not its medical significance. It was that it functioned as part of Israel's ritual purity system. In other words, Jews did not think of it primarily as a physical malady that needed to be treated. They thought of it as a religious state that needed to be cleansed. Uh, So we don't live in a world governed by ritual purity laws. Uh, Almost everyone in the ancient uh, Mediterranean world did, not just Israel, other nations did too, though Israel had their own ritual purity system divinely laid out in the law of Moses. So let's, uh, let's, let me just take a couple minutes and say something about that because it will help us read our text better. Uh, and I'm, I'm indebted here to uh, Matt Thiessen's kind of mapping out of the issue uh, in a great book called Jesus and the Forces of Death. Uh, that's, uh, it's a little on the scholarly side, but it's really good. And uh, he talks about how Israel's life was structured around two distinctions. Holy and profane. And I think we know what that means. Things that are holy are set apart. And things that are profane are not bad things. They're just common. They're for ordinary use. So holy and ordinary. And then the other one is pure and impure, which is able to enter into holy spaces and perform holy activities or not able to enter into holy spaces and holy activities. Uh, And people could become ritually impure for all kinds of reasons. And here's the important thing. There was absolutely nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all. As a matter of fact, if you live normally, you will do many things that will make you ritually unclean like have marital relations, or bear children, or bury loved ones. It's certainly not sinful to do any of these things. What was sinful was if you brought ritual impurity 
into holy spaces. Those are two things that are not supposed to come into contact, which brings us for the whole reason for Israel's ritual purity laws. They highlighted that God was dwelling in the midst of his people, that God is holy and impurity cannot enter into his presence. Uh, So how can God remain among Israel and how can Israel live and survive in the presence of a holy God? And the answer is that ritual purity was part of how Israel guarded or stewarded or protected or maintained God's presence in their midst. Uh, And in Leviticus 15, we read this, thus Shall, uh, thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. So that's the thing that's bad. You don't want to bring ritual impurity into the presence of God. Uh, okay, so again, we don't live in a world with ritual purity laws. Uh, they seem foreign to us, kind of alien, uh, irrational. I mean, isn't it kind of unenlightened, uh, to talk about religion in the same breath as things like sex and childbirth and menstruation and, uh, you know, skin conditions, embodied realities. Uh, It's easy to feel that Jesus must think like we do. Surely what matters to Jesus is only the interior attitudes of the heart, because that's what matters to us. Uh, Isn't it always an amazing coincidence when Jesus thinks just like us? He values what we value. Uh, And again, coincidentally, he opposes all the things about Judaism that we don't like or follow. So that we end up with a Jesus who one person famously said is Jewish, but not that Jewish. Uh, And we have literally remade him into our image. Okay, so I want to be clear. The point is not that everyone should keep ritual purity laws. They should not. Uh, For one, these laws were for Israel and not for the nation. Uh, Secondly, even for Israel, they were calibrated around the presence of God visibly dwelling uh, in their midst in the tabernacle or temple. The point about these ritual purity laws is they were not irrational taboos. And Jesus never dismissed them as such. And that will be important for understanding this passage. Okay, one more thing, and then we'll get back to the passage, I promise. Um, Why would a skin condition be considered a source of ritual impurity? And I think that there are two accounts in the Old Testament about leprosy that show us Uh, that this condition that the Bible calls lepra represented a kind of living death. So if you remember the story of Miriam after she and Aaron spoke out against Moses in Numbers 12, a cloud descends and when it lifts up, Miriam was leprous and Aaron makes the comment, let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten when he comes out, whose flesh is half eaten away as when he comes out of his mother's womb. Uh, in other words, a skin condition reminds people of rotten flesh, the deterioration of a corpse. And Miriam looked like that. 
Uh, the other interesting story is the story of Naaman in 2 Kings 5. If you remember, Naaman was a commander of uh, the king of Syria's army, and he was a leper, and the king of Syria was like, oh, just go to Israel and get cleansed and be healed. And when the king of Israel found out about this, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure of leprosy? Uh, To heal leprosy was like giving life to the dead because it was something beyond human power to fix. And we'll come back to both of these passages uh, in a little bit. Okay, back to Mark chapter 1. Here comes this leper, and he comes to Jesus, and what does he say? He says, if you will, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So this man understands that Jesus is powerful enough to cleanse him of leprosy, which is pretty impressive given what we just saw in 2 Kings 5, right? Am I God to kill and make alive that I could cure somebody from leprosy? This man understands Jesus is powerful and can cure leprosy. The question he has is, does Jesus desire to cleanse him? Uh, This is a question we often have. We know that Jesus is powerful, but does he desire to help me? I know that he has power, but does he care about my situation? And the question here is, does Jesus care about removing ritual impurity from this man's body? And we get the answer in verse 41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. Uh, Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to note what I had never noticed before until... um, uh, I read something that pointed it out to me, that while most Greek manuscripts say that Jesus was moved with pity for the man, there are a few that say Jesus was angered. Uh, You know, there are times in the gospel where Jesus gets angry, uh, when the disciples forbid children to come to him, when people don't want him to heal on the Sabbath, Jesus gets angry. Uh, And it's interesting that there are manuscripts that say here, Jesus gets angry. Was Jesus irked that this man thinks he might not care about ritual impurity? Does it irk Jesus when people think he doesn't care about the body or helping people enter more fully into Israel's worship of the Lord? Uh, And Jesus' anger here would be consistent with what we see in verse 43, uh, that where it says, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. Uh, That is a real toning down of what the text says when it says Jesus sort of scolded him and cast him out, which is the same word used for casting out demons. Uh, Maybe Jesus is upset at the idea that he doesn't want people to be cleansed. But either way, Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches the man with lepra and he says, I will be clean. Uh, And this is where you often hear that Jesus is ignoring or disregarding the ritual purity laws when he taught, uh, when he touched the leper. Uh, I certainly was taught that. I don't think it's right. Remember, there's nothing 
sinful or wrong about becoming ritually impure, and it happened to people all the time. But what you would expect to read here is that by touching the leper, Jesus became unclean. But what you do read is the opposite, that the leprosy left the man and he became clean. Uh, So Jesus has a kind of contagious holiness. Instead of the impurity coming to him, the purity comes out of him to the other person, which is something that we see in another encounter that Jesus has in Mark when a ritually impure woman with a flow of blood touches the tzitzit of his garments and she becomes clean. When unclean people touch Jesus, they become clean. Uh, Now, we do learn something here about Jesus' relationship to the ritual purity system that I think will be important. The leper comes to Jesus and he says, If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus does not respond by saying, "Uh, You know, I I just wouldn't stress out over it if I were you. Uh, The whole ritual purity system is antiquated and exclusionary and frankly kind of weird, and I've come to get rid of it. I've come to bring a new way of holiness. Just have faith in me and get some head and shoulders and hydrocortisone. What Jesus says when the man says, will you cleanse me? Do you desire? Will you cleanse me? Jesus says, I desire. Be clean. Which, if Jesus wanted to reject the validity of the ritual purity system, is an odd thing to say to affirm his willingness to cleanse the man. And then, after Jesus cleanses the man, he doesn't just tell him to go on with his life, go, go into the community, go into the temple, resume your life because you're clean. He tells him to go to the priest and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded in the Torah as a witness or a proof or a testimony. So Jesus does not usurp the authority of the priest, according to Leviticus. Uh, after a time of quarantine, the leprous person would show himself to the priest, present an offering, and the priest would declare him clean. And Jesus was not a Levitical priest, something the book of Hebrews says very plainly. So he encourages the man to faithfully follow the procedure laid out in Leviticus. And it's not surprising at all to find that Jesus defers to the word of God. So what about this comment that it's for a witness or a testimony? Well, it's the job of the priest to make rulings about who is pure and who is impure. But a priest never removes leprosy or cures leprosy. Even in the text that we saw before about Miriam and Naaman, Moses and Elijah as prophets did not cure leprosy. Miriam was healed after the prayer of Moses, and Naaman was healed by following the divine instructions of Elijah, Uh, but neither of those two people actually did the healing. So, So priests make rulings, prophets pray and instruct, but Jesus does not pray for the leper, and Jesus does not instruct the leper. And Jesus does not make a ruling about the leper's current condition. Jesus says, I desire, be clean. 
He shows he has both the power and the desire to remove uncleanness. And that would be a witness to the priests. Uh, Who is this guy? Uh, How did he do this? And a priest who knew the scriptures might think, for example, uh, about how God said one day he would open a fountain for cleansing from sin and impurity. And the priest would realize, hey, that is happening in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, Actually, in our text, if there is a rejection of the ritual purity system, it is not found in Jesus. Jesus commanded the man to go to the priest and sacrifice, but the man doesn't do it. He's the one who rejects the purity system. Instead, he goes out and he starts talking about Jesus. Okay, make sure we understand this. He's talking about Jesus instead of obeying Jesus. Please, let's not talk about Jesus if we're not going to obey Jesus. Uh, This remains a big problem in our day. Uh, To be clear then, uh, it is not Jesus who was disregarding the law of Moses in this passage. It's the man he healed, with the result in verse 45 that we read that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, uh, and the people were coming to him from every quarter. Uh, And the irony is it's the leper who is supposed to stay outside when he is unclean, but now Jesus is the one hindered from entering into places as though he were unclean. Okay, sorry to feed you through a fire hose, but what do we do with this text? Again, we don't live in a world of ritual impurity. The goal is not to get back to living in a world of ritual purity and impurity. But I think we can say a few things about it. The first is this. In a world of ritual purity and impurity, bodies matter. Uh, What we do with our bodies matter. And Jesus cared about this man's body. Uh, He wanted this man to be able to bodily present himself before God. Uh, And I think Western Christianity and American evangelicalism in particular tend to think more about the soul than the body. Uh, The body is just packaging. I mean, it's fancy packaging, right? When you get a present and the pack and is really fancy, you know, like you're really impressed with it, but you still at the end of the day only care about what is inside. Uh, and that's the way that Western Christians often think. Uh, for example, I have heard terrible stories of women who have suffered abuse and then get terrible pastoral counsel from terrible pastors that what really matters is that their soul is safe with Jesus. Uh, Is Jesus, who cared about the body, happy with that kind of counsel? I I don't think that he is. Uh, Do we have an embodied spirituality uh, like Jesus does? And I think that this is one of the big problems with saying that Jesus came to abolish the ritual impurity laws, that he came to bring a new kind of internal inner purity, is that it quickly and easily becomes Jesus doesn't care about the body. Uh, Ritual purity laws remind us 
that people live out their faith in their bodies. We meet God and love God and serve God with our bodies. Uh, And if that were not true, then it would be silly for God at the end of everything to raise our bodies. Uh, And when Jesus heals this man of his leprosy, he's showing something that he cares about, and that's the body. Uh, So a passage like this reminds us that Jesus came not to destroy the law, something that he just says plainly in Matthew chapter 5. It shows us that he came to destroy the forces of death that work against human flourishing and communion with God. Uh, The ministry of Jesus uh, is confronting things that work against people experiencing the bodily life that God wants for them. Uh, You know, we live in a world of animosity, war, racism, abuse, all kinds of other concrete forms of sin. We should be careful not to limit the things that Jesus cares about. Uh, We all probably need to have a more expansive view of the things that Jesus cares about. I think there's so much hope found in this one Greek word in verse 41 where Jesus says, I will, I desire, uh, I want to heal. Uh, Jesus cares, he notices, he is a redeemer. Uh, Jesus thinks that this ritually unclean man is a priority. Mark did too because he puts it in Mark chapter 1, which is like the beginning of uh, his gospel. It sort of sets a context for Jesus' ministry. And we don't keep the ritual purity system, but we can reflect Jesus' concern to fight the forces of death and help people flourish in the kind of life that God wants them to live. We can be Jesus' followers, his apprentices, bringing his contagious holiness and grace to ourselves and other people in a way that is, frankly, more fully orbed than what is often kind of a bodiless goal of getting people saved. doesn't mean salvation's not important. It just means that salvation is a bigger package than what ultimately happens in your soul. And finally, before we dismiss ritual impurity too quickly, let's remember the climax of Jesus' ministry is facing off with ritual impurity. In the Bible, there's three kinds of ritual, or three sources of ritual impurity. It can come from leprosy, it can come from bodily emissions, or ultimately, it can come from death. Uh, And in the cross, when Jesus goes to the cross, he takes ritual impurity, he takes death into his own body. The events of Mark 1 and other places where Jesus encounters ritual impurity are, as one person puts it, just skirmishes before the final battle. On the cross, Jesus brings ritual impurity into his own body and he defeats the forces of death. He comes out victorious in the resurrection. And he does that so that we can experience an everlasting life not a life where ritual, ritual purity laws are abolished. A life where impurity itself and all the things that cause it have been destroyed because we have a Redeemer 
who cares and loves us and desires that we be clean and that we be whole and that we serve him body and soul. Amen?